Well, we've got our first indication from Las Vegas about what to expect from Pac-12 football teams in 2023. And Deion Sanders has got some work to do. Our Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked on Pac-12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with our beloved Conference of Champions. And we are getting just a peek. I'm so excited. I'm so excited because we are getting a peek into what Las Vegas, who I tend to trust when it comes to what they think about football teams, they're usually right. Not always, but they're usually pretty darn right and give you a good idea of how teams are going to be in a given season. And we've gotten just a little peek. We got some individual game lines, courtesy of our friends over at FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook here at Locked On. And we start with Deion Sanders in Colorado. And, and just as a general note, when he was acquiring talent on National Signing Day, the first time and the second one and the transfers that that he's added and all that sort of stuff and Cormani McLean and Travis Hunter and Shador Sanders and, and, and whatnot, a lot of you were thinking that I was shortchanging Colorado, saying you're underestimating him, you're not doing this, he's going to be this, he's going to be. And, and, and to some extent, there's still an element of mystery here. Because there is still a ways to go. There's another transfer portal window. We don't really know what that's going to look like because they haven't had these windows before. And then there's spring football, and you just never know. But the opening line for Colorado going at TCU in week one is 17 and a half. That is the same line that Georgia was favored over Oregon by playing in a neutral site game last year. That game ended by a final score of 49-3. I'm not saying Colorado is going to lose 49-3. But I will say I was pretty surprised that given the talent they've added this offseason, just at this point, that the line is as big as 17.5. Now, last year, I think it would have been probably even bigger than that, given what TCU was doing and what Colorado was doing, respectively, in 2022. But I look at that line. And it tells me something very distinctly. Vegas at this point in time thinks what I have long thought here on the show. This is more than a one-year turnaround for Deion Sanders of Colorado. This is not going to be an instant flip of the switch, sleeping giant or anything of the sorts. No, he's trying to make them into something that is a respectable brand in college football. But they haven't been that and the roster was so down, even with all the players that they're bringing in, just dozens and dozens of guys who are going to play right away. Some, I bet Cormani McLean and Travis Hunter are starting uh, this year. McLean will be a true freshman. Hunter, of course, has played, I think, one year, one, maybe two at Jackson State. I don't remember exactly. But anyway, those are probably your two starting corners. And it just goes to show you exactly what I said before. This thing is going to take a while because there was nothing about Colorado that was encouraging, that was good. You have to overhaul everything for a school that hasn't been recruiting at a high level, for a school that hasn't been winning at a high level, bringing in players, and has in fact had its best players poached by other programs of higher note in the transfer portal. That has been 
what Colorado football has been. And so this is going to take a little while. But that line of 17 and a half. Now, I know it's in Fort Worth and TCU was just in the national championship game. I am of the belief, personally, that TCU is a pullback team in 2023. I think they'll still be good because Sonny Dykes clearly knows what he's doing. He went to SMU, future Pac-12 school. I don't know. Um, I had to throw it in there. You can't bring up SMU at this point of the show and not say something to that effect. He knows what he's doing. He won a lot of games at Cal. Won games at SMU. Did an unbelievable job in year one with, with TCU. Got them to the national championship game. I don't expect them to be anywhere close to the college football playoff in 2023. They're losing Quentin Johnson. They're losing Max Duggan. Like, like they're losing a lot of guys. They still have some talent there for sure, but it's not going to be the same. I, I think they're probably back to like an eight, nine win team in, in 2023. I don't think we have those over under win totals. Yeah. At least I didn't see them. Uh, maybe I missed them. I don't know, but I found that to be fascinating. Uh, other notable lines around the PAC 12. Washington on the road at Michigan State early in the year, eight-point favorite. That line opens at Washington at an even minus eight. I am curious how these lines could move as players get added in the next transfer portal cycle, but I don't think they're going to be I, I don't think there are going to be a lot of radical shifts in, in these lines. Like they could move, you know, a couple points here or there. But Washington minus eight right now, barring a spring injury to to Michael Penix, is it's not going to suddenly shift to Washington minus two. But this is also kind of setting the expectations for 2023. And being an eight-point favorite at Michigan State, I think is a good sign for Washington in terms of how Las Vegas feels about the Huskies' abilities to be a good team again this year. Now, Michigan State last year went into Seattle, got trounced. They were number 11 at the time. They ended up missing a bowl game. I don't think Mel Tucker is the sort of coach who can necessarily get you to college football playoff every year at Michigan State, which is how he's being paid. But I also don't think he's the sort of guy, based on what he's done so far as a head coach, who's going to have back-to-back losing seasons. I mean, they were a big disappointment team. And I think their poise, now granted I haven't studied them, I'm just kind of saying this from the outset, I think Michigan State is poised to be at least somewhat of a bounce back team and be above 500. So that being said, if you're Washington, a road game against a Big Ten opponent, them setting that line over a touchdown means Vegas has confidence in the Huskies this year. And based on the number of players they have coming back, I think they should. I mean, I I would almost lean Washington in that game because, you know, even when – the Spartans had a good year. Their defense has not been what it probably should be with a guy of Mel, Mel, Mel Tucker's caliber on the defensive side of the ball. And their pass defense last year was horrendous. And I don't think you can go from horrendous to really good in one year. You could go from horrendous to serviceable, but a serviceable pass defense is not going to be able to slow down Washington super easily. I think that game ultimately come down to what's what the Spartans can bring offensively uh, to the table and whether or not they can put up a lot of points because Washington, in, in all likelihood, is going to score a lot of points. Unless Michigan State just completely transforms their defense, but I, I don't see that. But good, good early sign there for the Pac-12 that Washington is, is not being faded by Vegas at this point in time. Because I, I think you can see those sorts of indicators in, in some of these lines um, as you just kind of look at all the games that are there, obviously I'm talking about the ones that involve Pac-12 teams, but I, I think that's something that you can 
kind of determine at this time. It's like if Vegas likes you right now, there there's a reason. And if you're an eight-point road favorite against a Power 5 team that wasn't great last year, but still won five games. Not like they were a two- or three-win team. They weren't, you know, last year's Colorado or anything like that. That's still a respectable team. They're a tough team to play in East Lansing. Washington opening at minus eight there. That means Vegas uh, likes the Huskies a pretty good amount. I think Washington, Oregon, and USC were all in like the top 12 or 15 or so on FanDuel for national championship odds. Oregon and Washington were at the same place at like plus 3,000. And USC, I think, was inside the top uh, top 10. So a couple teams there that do certainly have college football playoff aspirations and uh, capabilities too. A couple other lines, including one that in, involves USC to uh, to – shall we say, point out right now. But we really need to talk about how you can eat healthy without cutting calories. And if you want that, then you got to try Built Bars. With Built, healthy is actually tasty. They are so great. You won't think they're good for you, but they are 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein. I've got at least one in my golf bag at all times. They're in my pantry, again, at all times, because anytime I just need a quick snack or something to get me through a broadcast or something to get me through a round of golf, Built Bars are always there. You can get yours at Built.com, where they've got a bunch of great flavors, or you can go to your local Walmart or Sam's Club to get your next order of Built Bars today. Okay, so next line I want to talk about here, USC. At Notre Dame, what would you think that line is? If I if I just told you right now, just guess in your head, just to just say, oh, it was this. I I think it's that. Or, what do you think that is? Well, USC at Notre Dame is minus two and a half. Now I think that is a testament to a couple of things. Number one, Sam Hartman going to Notre Dame is I think an upgrade over Drew Pine. I think he's at the very least more explosive. Number two, I think the brand power of Notre Dame can draw people in to bet a lot of money on that particular side. Excuse me. Number number three, I think this says more about Notre Dame and that Vegas thinks they're improving than USC regressing. Because the worst of Notre Dame last year lost to Stanford, could have lost to Cal, lost to Marshall, I mean, they were a train wreck. But by the end of the year, they'd started to play much better across the board. They lost their offensive coordinator, though. They tried to lure away Utah's Andy Ludwig, unsuccessfully, might I add. It's the power of the Utes right there. I think that game, that line being so small, says more about Notre Dame than USC. Because going into next year, be hard to pick against USC to be the favorites in the Pac-12 because you've got a brilliant and proven coach. And by the way, I do think Kalen DeBoer is very good. And I think Jonathan Smith is very good. And Dan Lanning, I think we're still kind of in a wait and see phase and such. But I know that Lincoln Riley can win conference championships. And I know that Caleb Williams is the best player in the country. That, that, that just, it, it makes it hard to look elsewhere. But this does not give me pause on that front because I think this is Vegas saying we think Notre Dame has improved and it's in South Bend rather than being in uh, in Los Angeles. So UC minus two and a half uh, seems about right. Interesting one. Oregon minus seven and a half against Oregon State. I was curious, first of all, and frankly, this is 
good for the beeves to be one of the early lines that they care about, right? Like I would if if you told me that there was an Oregon game that had the line already on it, I thought that I'd say USC, Utah, Washington. But no, it's Oregon State. Probably because it's a rivalry, sure. But let's just say four or five years ago, that's not going to be there for the bees. That like that that's not an early line that comes out that you know sports books sports books like FanDuel want to get on uh, on people's radar. So Oregon minus seven and a half. They're hosting Oregon State. I I think that's about right. But frankly, I thought it was going to be a little bit less. I, I I did. I probably would have. I thought it was going to be around five or six. I think the home field advantage is what's really doing it for Oregon there. But Oregon has been a really, really tough team to beat at Autzen Stadium. And frankly, I think if you're Oregon State seeing that line, that's Vegas giving you, I think, about the amount of respect you deserve. Because there are not going to be a lot of teams that will be less than a touchdown underdog going into Autzen Stadium. I mean, think about this. Washington last year, and Vegas was you know, undervaluing them a, a, a touch, but Washington last year, going into that game when they had, you know, a top 25 ranking when they were playing good football was a 12 point underdog going into Autzen. So I think that's a pretty healthy amount of respect there for Oregon State and deservedly so. Those are the Pac-12 lines that we've got right now. Colorado, 17 and a half point dogs at TCU. That's a big number. But I said that a couple times last year in my Pac-12 prime pick segments and um, Colorado did not uh, did not deliver. They started 0-5 and 0-5 against the spread. I don't think we're ever going to see that again. I really don't. Washington minus eight at Michigan State. Good sign for the Huskies. USC minus two and a half at Notre Dame. I think that says more about the Irish. And then Oregon minus seven and a half against Oregon State. I think that's the bees getting the respect that they very much deserve. Now, some of you may be thinking, Spencer, the Pac-12 media deal isn't here. Why aren't you talking about the Pac-12 media deal? Well, first of all, I do think the conference needs to get this done. The men's basketball tournament is next week. The women's tournament starts this week. And then shortly thereafter, everyone else will play their conference tournaments. And then March Madness will roll around. By the time March Madness rolls around, you'd really like to have a deal done. You you, you really would. Perception is not everything, but perception can influence people who do play into what reality ends up being for a Pac-12 team on the recruiting front, on the coaching attractiveness front, what like whatever the case may be. So I think it's more about perception than reality for the Pac-12 because ultimately if you had to wait a little bit longer but then got a deal that ends up being solid enough to keep the league together and keep it competitive with other Power 5 conferences as best they can, then ultimately maybe the timing didn't matter as much. But as this goes on and on, and the pressure starts to mount up, not just on on shows like this one or others, but from national reporters and writers and all that sort of stuff, I think that can play into the negotiations a little bit. And with each day that passes, it feels like the Pac-12 has less and less leverage. Now, why did I not lead today's show with it? Because that's really all I have to say about it right now. At, At some level, As always, you can ask me a question 
I'm happy to go through it. I really am because I appreciate you guys listening or watching. I love answering your questions and you've come up with some really, really great ones that make me dive into research and really think about, you know, what I think the correct response would be. But at this point, I think some of you are in this camp as well. I'm a little bit exhausted. Like it, it, it's getting a little tiring. It has been really, really fun because there have been so many different teams they could add. And I love doing those lawyer segments and that was a blast. And there are a lot of different teams to evaluate and a lot of different media partners and, ha- and all this sort of stuff. And I get that. But I'm kind of worn out. Again, if you want to ask me a question, by all means, fire away. I'm happy to answer it. But just on like a personal level, and I cannot be the only one here. It's just getting a little bit tiresome. And I think that's kind of how most Pac-12 fans. I mean, Josh Neighbors, a locked on Big 12, will shoot me a message like every other day. When are we getting a deal? I, I would love to know. My, my prediction last week was that it would drop today as this show airs on Monday, February 27th. I really hope that's true. I really hope that's true because speculating is, is good and fun. And it makes for great off-season content, and I love it, and you guys clearly love it, and girls is there as well, anybody else watching or listening out there. But, like, can we just let, – let, let's wrap it up. Give us a deal. I want to break it down. I also <laughs> – this is for more for the regular listeners, I suppose, but um, I would really like it to drop sometime this week at the very least because on Saturday – as in March 4th, I'm going to Disney World with some friends. So the show is going to be off for a few days. I know you're going to have to survive without me for a few days. It's going to be really terrible. Um, some of you will love that. Some of you will not. But I don't want the media deal to drop while I'm over there because then I'd have to wait. I mean, I guess I'd get to formulate my takes for a couple of days. But like you can tell, I'm, I'm just, I just want this thing to be done and over with now. This has been a fun, exciting ride. I mean, Friday's show. If you missed Friday's show, let me give you a brief recap. I taped it that morning, and I saw a tweet from Brett McMurphy of the Action Network saying that Ion Television had emerged as a potential partner for the Pac-12 in their media rights negotiations. I followed Brett McMurphy for a long time, He, by all accounts, is a credible college football reporter. So I record the show. I talk about the possibility of Ion Television, which, by the way, I'm 100% down for. Pac-12 football followed by Criminal Minds or CSI. Mm, That is good living right there. And then by the time I'd scheduled the show to go live, I go back on Twitter and Stuart Mandel of The Athletic is tweeting out that Ion Television is not a partner. And I'm just sitting here going, what are we doing? What, 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 what is happening? <laughs> it's just all this craziness just piling up. And I'm just like, okay, let's just, let's just get it over with. Can we, I mean, at this point, if it's 20 million a year, I don't care. Just give, just give me something to talk about other than rumors and speculation. They're just getting shot down just all, all over the place, man. It's crazy. It's, uh, it's crazy. But, um, anyway. One uh, one final segment to do on on today's show. Okay, had a little uh, technical mishap, but we got that uh, we got that all sorted out. So uh, again, the question. This is from Edward Weiner, by the way. 
you can get in the mailbag as well. YouTube comments, Twitter at LO underscore Pac-12 or at underscore or Smalls underscore 55. There's not another underscore in there. But anyway, uh, at Locked On Pac-12, there's a perception that some or many Pac-12 fan bases do not support their teams like other conferences. Sometimes. Uh, we usually hear that Cal and Stanford are the least engaged. Can you do a show on Pac-12 fan bases, passion, attended games, or watch on TV, and which programs help the media deals and which hurt? Thanks. Now, as far as attendance goes, it, it, that, that can be a, uh, a fickle thing because oftentimes in college sports, attendance base, is based on success. Back in the day, Stanford did used to come very close did very did used to come very close to selling out Stanford Stadium. I'm sure they had a few sellouts in the Andrew Luck kind of Kevin Hogan Christian McCaffrey days. Then things started to go in a different direction, and they didn't show up as much. Now that's different than other schools like Oregon or Washington or even Colorado, who will show up regardless. And that does speak to the passion, commitment, and buy-in of a uh, of a particular fan base. But just looking at 2022, and I will answer the uh, the second question for you as well. In uh, this past season, the most attended school in the Pac-12 in terms of in-game was USC. Now they have the biggest stadium, so and there, there's only one more year, obviously, of USC and and UCLA. And this kind of has an eye on the future, so I am going to exclude them for now. Washington was the most attended team. Again, not a big surprise. They've had a pretty consistently strong following up there in Seattle, even when their program came on tough times because they knew they're capable of getting back to a high level. Lo and behold, here we are. But so Washington averaged about 63,000 per game. And compare that to Washington State, by the way, who averaged about 26,000 per game because their stadium is much smaller and there aren't as many people up in Pullman. But it, this is why when you're talking about attendance, you know, Washington's up there, Oregon is up there, Utah is way up there. It doesn't actually correlate in any meaningful way to what your TV value is. For the last several years, UCLA's inability to put a lot of fans in the stadium at the Rose Bowl has gotten them a lot of negative media attention, which is understandable on the one hand, but guess what? The Pac-12 would still be better off, even though they haven't had a tremendous amount of success. They've had more in the last couple of years, obviously, with Chip Kelly and DTR, eight and nine win regular seasons, respectively, the last two years. Even though they don't get a lot of people to attend relative to you know what their stadium size actually is, or even compared to the rest of the Pac-12, you know, I mean UCLA only averaged about forty-two thousand this year, which would put them in the middle of the pack. They were still one of the bigger TV draws and have been consistently. So I don't know, Edward, if you meant to ask them as a as a combined question or like this and that, how they play off each other, but they're pretty separate entities. And I mentioned Washington State. And I did because Washington State is, I think, right around the bottom uh, in terms of average attendance. And in fact, they are they, they were the least attended team on average in a per game basis, even less than Stanford on average, by the way. They don't have that perception as much because they win a lot more. Turns out winning cures a lot of ills. Funny how that works. But Washington State 
over the last several years has been a pretty highly viewed team in the Pac-12. And in 2022 alone, they were sixth in the conference, averaging about 907,000 viewers per week. Now that was aided partially by that game against Wisconsin for sure, but that's a testament to where their program has come. Washington State would not have been able to schedule a home-and-home with Wisconsin in 2012, but in 2022 and 2023, they can't because they've elevated themselves. So TV-wise, Washington State has got more value than, than you'd think. Now, this year, the, the top five schools, Washington was number five, Utah is number four, no surprise there. Again, perception with the fans, not always reflective of reality. UCLA number three, USC number two, and Oregon number one. So that's what the top half looks like. Oregon, USC, UCLA, Utah, Washington, and Washington State. Then the bottom half, Cal at number seven, bet that would have surprised you, power the Bay Area media market for sure, helping them out. I think if you put Cal's football program in Corvallis, or Pullman would not have had the uh, the same sorts of results. Stanford was number eight, same sort of deal. Oregon State was number nine. I'd expect that to be a little bit higher this year. But th- the other thing too, with, with these average per game viewership numbers, they're often reflective in a big way of what your non-conference schedule looks like. Spencer, did you just use that as a segue to talk about why non-conference scheduling should be done on an annual basis instead of 18 years in advance? Yes, I did. Because here it is again. Oregon State, off of its first 10-win season since 2006, would be a team that a number of schools would surely love to play. Or maybe they wouldn't because they think they would lose. But, but, but they're certainly more attractive as an opponent for a team that's looking to pick up a quality Power 5 win, whether on the road or at home, than they were in 2017, for instance, when they bottomed out and went 1-11. Nobody was going to want to schedule them at that point in time, which is why this years and years in advance thing is just so idiotic. But Oregon State played two Mountain West teams this year. They're playing two more Mountain West teams this year, which is fine. They're good, solid matchups. But if you're Oregon State and you want to increase your credibility on the national college football landscape, wouldn't it do you more good off of a 10-win season to be able to go and find a quality Power 5 opponent to play? I'd argue that 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 answer is yes. But they were ninth. Arizona was 10th. Colorado was 11th and Arizona State was 12th. That was in terms of uh, TV viewership and such. And th- there's not a huge gap. You know, most schools are over 40,000 in terms of attendance. Oregon State was lower, but I think, uh, I don't know what the specs are in their new stadium in terms of capacity, but they were at minimal capacity for the 2022 season because of the construction job at, at Reeser. But that's kind of how things shake out. The top attended teams, not surprising, you know, Oregon, Utah, Washington up there at the top. The L.A. schools kind of by virtue of being in big stadiums and being in Los Angeles. But their appeal and, you know, strength is more on the television side than on the attendance and ambiance side. Like you can get a good number of fans at USC, but I don't think that that's as intimidating of a place to play as, heck, even Pullman, right? Now, the team is better in you at USC, of course. But in terms of the atmosphere, I, I think it's a lot. I think it's a lot tougher to play up in uh, up in a place like Pullman. But last part of your question here, Edward, 
which programs helped media deals and which hurt. Th- this can also fluctuate because it depends partially, you know, not entirely, but partially on the non-conference matchups. Like Oregon's viewership was pretty high this year because they played in the most viewed game in the Pac-12 that wasn't the conference championship game, I think. And that was their game against Georgia. It had like over 6 million viewers. Well, that plays into how over the course of the year, they average X number, which was the most in the Pac-12, because they get that sort of game or they have that sort of game. But that number could come down and, and you know they, they can go up and down on, on a year-to-year basis and such. But the, the teams, in short, that are the most valuable for the Pac-12 going forward from a television standpoint, Oregon and Washington, in that order probably, I would say the Bay Area schools are probably next. Like when they're at their peak, they're going to be able to look at how bad they were. They want to combine seven games in 2022. And they weren't last in viewership. They weren't even all the way down in the dreaded double figures, right? They were seventh and eighth. So if you were trying to make the best television product possible, I think I'll, uh, I think I'll, I'll explore this more in tomorrow's show. That that'll be my tease for tomorrow's show. If the Pac-12 is going to draw the highest viewership, which schools need to be really good? That coming tomorrow on Locked on Pac-12. Appreciate everyone listening. See you next time. Hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.